welcome back to another episode of You the Mother podcast by Abby Williams, a space dedicated to supporting, empowering, and connecting all parents in all seasons of parenthood. You can find more supportive content over on Instagram at You the Mother, and be sure to check out youthemother.com where you can reach out to work with me one-on-one, sign up for my group coaching, or become a member of my healing book club. This year, we will read a new book each month, discuss it throughout the month in our exclusive private Facebook group. You will gain access to additional resources that I provide throughout the month, and we end each month in a virtual book club session led by myself. I am so excited to be spending this year reading, learning, and growing together. And I am excited to be welcoming on Dr. Judith Joseph this week on the podcast. Dr. Judith is a board-certified psychiatrist, and she is currently conducting the first-of-its-kind research study in high-functioning depression in her laboratories. And she will be publishing a book on high-functioning depression with Little Brown Spark in 2025. I'm so excited about all the work that she is doing in this space because it very much links to the discussion that we are having in today's podcast episode. Today, we are discussing dysfunctional family systems. We talk about what it means to come from a dysfunctional family system and what some of the impacts are that we carry into adulthood. We talk about the impacts that coming from a dysfunctional family can have on our mental health and how we can move through some of these things. You can find Dr. Judith over on Instagram at Dr. Judith Joseph. You can also find her on her website, drjudithjoseph.com. I hope that you enjoy this week's episode, and if you do, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Your support here on the podcast always means the world to me, and I so appreciate you being here. So let's get started in supporting you, the mother. Dr. Judith, welcome to the, the to You the Mother podcast. I am so excited that you are here joining us today and talking to us about some of this dysfunctional family stuff. Um, a lot of the people in my audience is navigating this journey of how to bring our childhood wounding and our dysfunctional family things into our current parenting life, and it just feels like a lot. So thank you so much for having this conversation with me. First, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you for having me and for reaching out over IG. Um, So I'm a psychiatrist, which means that I have a medical degree. I can prescribe medications, but I also have a therapy practice. And most psychiatrists are trained in therapy and medications, but many opt out of you know doing therapy every day just because the demand for psychiatry is so high that you want to help as many people as possible. But I, I happen to practice both. Um, I, I do a fair bit of therapy um, in my practice, and I treat children, adults, families, couples, and I also have a research lab where I have 10 women working with me, um, and we work on novel treatments for everything under the sun from ADHD to dementia. So we have pediatric and adult patients, and it's very exciting. And um, one of our current projects is the first ever uh, clinical study in high-functioning depression, which is technically not a diagnosis according to the DSM-5, which is like the Bible of psychiatry, 
but I believe that it is an area that is really underserved. And um, I think that people tend to focus on those who have depression where they're um, not working and they're significantly impaired and they appear to have like major um, uh, deficits. But the majority, I think, of people who have high-functioning depression and who, who identify as having it, they're like out there working every day. They're the the mom it's taking me. care of like the four kids, yeah. <laughs> right? They're the rock of the family. They're the ones who never get to show any weakness. They're go, 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 go. And um, when I started putting content out there over TikTok, um, I was just surprised. I remember the day I, I put it up and I got like my my uh, my team, they were like, check your TikTok. And I was like, why? I'm with patients. No, you got to check it. Like it went totally viral because people were like, oh my gosh, that's me. Are you watching me? Do you have a camera in my home? How do you know that this is my day? And I thought, okay, it was just like a fluke. Like, you know, I did one trending video, maybe like the next one won't hit. And they just kept hitting and hitting. So I was like, hmm, there's something about this. I should start researching this. And that's how I started studying yeah, it. Yeah, it is me. Um, you know, cause like I've been in therapy pretty much my whole adult life. And the current diagnosis that my therapist is working under is like an unspecified depression diagnosis because like you just don't check the boxes for a lot of like the criteria for a lot of these different diagnoses right um and like you know you're describing me like I'm the mom of four I'm working you know I'm doing all the things right and so outwardly I think so many of us look like oh that she doesn't struggle with depression she doesn't struggle with anxiety she doesn't struggle with you know childhood trauma stuff um but I think a lot of us just got really good at masking, maybe. I don't know. You know, I know. I'm glad you said check the box yeah. because in my research practice, yeah. we literally have to check a yeah. box. So like there's something called a skid or a mini and they're like, they're these thick assessments and we have to go through them quickly. They're recorded. Some of them are video. Some of them are audio only, but you literally have to check a box. And the box that went unchecked a lot was is it impairing your functioning? No, I'm actually like doing well. I'm killing it at work. So it's like, okay, you don't meet criteria. Bye. You know, but then they're just like, well, what about me? Like I, I'm exhausted. I'm burnt out. Like things don't feel good anymore. Um, you know, like the winds, they don't give me the same high. So I felt like this was really important because um, I think as a society, we just don't recover or process traumas the way we're supposed to. So like this terrible thing happened to all of us. COVID happened to all of us. And like, how are we processing that? Like, are we, is there like a COVID memorial where we're like, you know, with 9-11, today's 9-11. So, and, you know, with that, we, we kind of go back and remember, but there's just like no way to validate how we're feeling. So we're just pushing through it, pushing through it, working hard. We don't slow down, but something's got to give eventually. And I do think people with high functioning depression eventually develop depression where they they become um, impacted in terms of their functioning or they self-medicate. And we've seen a lot of binge drinking, a lot of marijuana use in adults over the course of the pandemic, or um, they they physically fail. So they may have these physical breakdowns or, you know, severe symptoms that go unexplained. Something's got to give, you know, Um, or their relationships fail. You know, we see the divorce rates going up. Something happens. Um, And with our kids, we talked about this a little briefly before, 
um, you know, high functioning depression is not contained. It is super contagious. So if you're high functioning, your kids are going to be that way likely because they learn their behaviors from you. And then there's those traits, genetic traits. So like, you know, the mom in my practice who has her kid in like a million things and she's running a mile a minute, you know, like it's contagious. So, you know, it's really important to take a step back, reflect and examine this because you're impacted, your kids are impacted, and you likely learn these from your parents, you know. So the cycle doesn't stop unless you, you know, intentionally break that cycle. It really, like, kind of leans into some of that generational stuff. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So let's kind of talk about um, dysfunctional family systems. A lot of my audience is navigating this dysfunctional family system stuff what does it mean to have a dysfunctional family? How do we know if like, is it that bad? Is it not that bad? I feel like a lot of us tend to self gaslight. Like I'm the crazy person. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've been told that you're the crazy person. You're too sensitive. You're too dramatic. Um, And how do we know that? No, this isn't not healthy. What's happening here? There there are a lot of ways to know. um, But I think that it can be a bit, tricky if there's no outright abuse right so like a lot of times people will say well I wasn't hit as a kid or no one called me names Um, I had everything I had a comfortable life I always had food on the table my parents said that they loved me but when especially my clients when they come to me and they're like I feel so stuck like you know and the stuck could be like I'm not getting a into a relationship that is healthy or like I find myself keep on like chasing after the same type of person or I find myself in these friendships where I'm drained and um and I'm not like I'm taking for granted you know then I then I take a look back and I say okay let's like go back to your early um relationships you know attachment is really big now like did you feel as if you had consistent Um, you know, attention? Did you feel as if you were um, praised, but then not devalued? You know, like, did you feel as if you didn't know if a parent was going to be there for you or not? You know, was that anxiety there? So you start to like ask these questions. And then what you do end up learning is that there were these subtle ways in which families were dysfunctional. And, you know, there's this whole body of literature about the good enough parent a lot of my clients will say, no, like it was the opposite. My parent was on me like white on rice. Like they were like, and I'm like, well, let's take a look at that. Because in a lot of these families, that type of parenting, what we call helicopter parenting is also dysfunctional, right? So I think it it takes us looking back at behaviors that led to certain feelings in our body um, and that's why it's important for me to help my clients name their feelings. It sounds like so loosey-goosey and fluffy and like kumbaya, but it's so important to be able to name your feelings because when you can name and identify your feelings, there's less confusion and the human brain um, is afraid of the unknown. So if you don't know how you feel, then how do you know what to do? And so I'll ask my clients, how did you feel in your childhood? And a lot of them will say, well, you know, I really didn't think about that or like I blocked it out and let's go back a little further. Why did you block it out? Well, a lot of times I felt anxious and I wonder what was the 
behavior around the anxiety. And then you find out there were these themes and then it's like, oh my gosh, I thought my childhood was perfect, but it wasn't, you know? And, you know, not to fear. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's most of us, I would say. (laughs) Um, But I think it's, it's not, it's not anything to go back to your parents and say, you did this and that. Cause I think that's where um, it gets tricky. Like you don't want to necessarily go in with that attitude. You do want to go in with the empathy that maybe you didn't get. Right. So you may want to, if you, if you feel in that space or your therapist thinks it's a good idea for you to confront people, use empathy and say, you know, I've been, I've been working with my therapist and I've uncovered these things. And I just wanted to know if we could talk about it. Right. You don't want to necessarily go back to that parent or sibling or caretaker and be like, oh my gosh, this is why I'm like this, you know, because you're, you're not going to get the outcome that you desire if you go about it that way. Um, so I think that, you know, when you're talking about some of these dysfunctional things that weren't, you know, glaringly obvious, I think that that's so many of us, right. Where maybe just like the emotional neglect a little bit, um, and having to learn our emotions now in adulthood, I think that so many of our generation is doing that right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Who didn't have the language back in childhood. Maybe your parents didn't have access to those kind of resources, or I don't know what was going on with the generation mm-hmm. above us <laughs> that just like didn't know, yeah. you know, our emotional stuff. Um, but if that is you who is now an adult, in therapy, learning how to navigate and name your emotions, you are not alone. You're not. So and and it's actually proven that. by science, yeah. right? Like I, I recently read an article by McKinsey with a very large consulting firm, and they do a lot of psychological research, behavioral research, and they were looking at generations. And, um, you know, what they found was that the Gen Xers were super like capitalists, you know, like if you ever watch those 80s movies, I love the 80s movies with the shoulder pads and the power suits. It was all about how much you made, what you were driving, were you a part of the country club? You know, like it was pervasive, you know, that was the goal, right? But if you think about it, when you focus on the materialistic things, you don't really do a lot of self-reflection. So what you saw then was, okay, saw a lot of heart attacks, right? You saw people having heart disease. You saw people being excessive at the gym with those workout videos. You know, you saw a lot of that. But then as you go into like the uh, the younger generations, like the millennials, there's the age of the internet. So they're, oh, if you're feeling anxious, you Googled it, right? And you're like, oh, anxiety is caused by this. Oh, and this can happen and that. So it was like the age of information and enlightenment. So they just have a very different approach. And then the Gen Zers, like, forget it. They not only have the information, but they have, you know, parents who are also informed and they have less stigma. So they're open to sharing, but they're also not going to let you get away with making mistakes out of ignorance, right? They're like, well, you should know better, you know? I'm here for that generation, honestly. I love it. Seriously. So yeah, don't feel like you're alone and, um, and, you know, like think about, using empathy, the empathy that maybe you didn't get. So like when you're approaching the older generations, like think about that and how, you know, before them, there were the baby boomers where forget it for feelings. Don't, don't even bring feelings up. You know, you're alive. You're not in war. You have it good. Right. So just like use that empathy when you're approaching the different generations, because, um, you know, they just had a very, very different experience. And if they are open to learning, then use 
compassion with them. The ones who are not open to change and learning, then you know, then you got to think about the boundaries you need to set to protect your peace. But um, when people are open, um, use it up as an opportunity for like generational growth because you could actually help your parents and your grandparents grow when they're open. Yeah, yeah. Are you seeing that a lot? That these generations are open and willing to have some of these conversations or are you seeing it more the opposite way where no, we're not going to talk about Bruno. <laughs> I see it both ways. Yeah. And I do think um, it's obviously more easy when you have people who are open. 100%. Um, it's so much more yeah. easy. It's like, but then the, the more commonly I see it, that people are stuck in their ways and they don't want to change. Um, and, you know, that's to be expected because, you know, the human brain is afraid of the unknown and change is hard. Um, and so I think that when you do find yourself faced with, you know, older generations, it's important to remind them that we're not against each other. We want the same things, you know, similar to in couples therapy, you use the analogy of like the boat, right? We're not in boats sailing in opposite directions. We're in the same boat. We want the same thing. We're just somehow we're not getting to the point where we're communicating where it seems like that. So I think when you remind older generations that, listen, we want the same things. Sometimes you don't though. Sometimes you don't want the same things, but in, in many cases you want the same thing. You wanna have a cohesive family network. You want to see each other thrive, to grow healthily, you know, um, and so keeping that in mind that you want the same things, it allows you to be more patient when someone's not growing at the rate that you want them to, or that you feel they should be growing at, or at the rate that you're growing. Um, And so I think that having that in mind, that if you do have someone who's at least willing to see it that way, um, you know, you'll be more patient, Mm -hmm. and at least it'll cause, I think, less anxiety within yourself. Yeah. I wish that it was always like that, (laughs) you know, where we did have these kind of family systems that were able to have the communication and have the self-reflection. You know, I think that there's so many adult children right now in the millennial Gen X uh, generations who are going to their parents and having some of these conversations and are met with, I did so much for you, entitlement, mm-hmm. um, and just like will not hear you. And it's heartbreaking. It is. And again, empathy goes a long yeah. way. It's hard to empathize with someone when you feel that they are not empathic yeah. with yeah. you and when they've hurt you. I think that is the most challenging thing. Um, and when I when I deal with um, these dynamics with my clients who are in relationships, both romantic or familial or friendship with someone with a narcissistic point of view, it's really difficult to empathize with someone like that. And what I would say is that projection and understanding projection is very important because when someone's guilting you and they're projecting all that guilt onto you, imagine if they made you feel that guilty, imagine the guilt that they feel, right? And like people often forget that, you know, projection is simple, but it's complex at the same time um, because relationships can be 
seem simple, but they're very, very complicated. complicated. On the I agree. I mm-hmm. agree. I know. I have been estranged from my mother for four years, and um, there just wasn't the ability to get there and have those kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, especially with my therapist hat, I'm able to really objectively see her and just like the limitations and the why we can't get there and that there's just so much unhealed trauma there, you know, and it's just heartbreaking, you know, when you have some of these situations that it's just healthier not to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that we can though have, you know, even if you're on this journey alongside of me where you're have gone no contact there still can be empathy and compassion and Mm -hmm. wishing you well from afar, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Micro doses, right? Like I will not be able to be in the same room with you ever, or, or maybe at one point down the line, but I can send a car, you know, there are, there are different things that, you know, depending on the relationship people can do. Um, I can love from afar or I can be in contact from afar. Right. Um, so like no contact for many has very many different definitions and you got to find the one that works for you the best. Um, but I do think that understanding that such intense narcissism comes from such deep insecurity and deep pain allows you to at least have that, um, you know, sense of safety that it's not you, there's nothing you could have done. Um, and you, feel comfortable with the relationship that you've put in place, the boundaries you put in place, because it's not you. And um, that that pain is something that existed before you exist, that you were in in existence, right? Um, And I think that can be somewhat comforting. It doesn't take away the pain completely because that is very painful, having someone that is supposed to be a positive attachment figure in your life, you know, cause so much pain. but at least I think it provides some form of comfort. It is really important, I think, to get there. Of It's not mm-hmm. you, right? <laughs> it's really important. Um, I know I saw like a clip um, of one of Brene Brown's stuff where she was talking about how narcissism is the most shame-based personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, just very similar. Um, Dr. Judith, do you feel like in all your work that you're doing with this high functioning anxiety, depression, PTSD, do you feel like this stuff stems from some of these dysfunctional family systems and our childhood things? Or do you feel like you're seeing that these are caused by others? You know, we've got a very complicated, um, society and like world that we live in now. So it could be anything, right? But do you see that that's a theme or no? I do. I think it's a bit of both. I think uh, that especially I see certain trends with uh, within certain cultures. So like immigrants, for example, are told, you know, you're in this country, you have one shot, you know, similar to Hamilton, like don't don't mess up, don't mess your shot, right? Don't mess your shot. Um, don't give it away. But, um, you know, like, I think that pressure is there to, to not feel, to not reflect, to work, 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 work. Then you forget why you're working and you may have accumulated everything and still work as if you're in a position of scarcity, right? That's, that's what scarcity trauma is. So I see that a lot in, in immigrant populations because of how they're raised. 
Um, I see it a lot in, in patients who are um, high-performing athletes and that from a young age, they were told, like, you know, got to win, got to win, got to win. The harder you work, the more it'll pay off. And then they forget why they're winning so much. And, and you, you see famous examples of athletes who, like, misplace their trophies, you know, because it's, like, no longer about the win. It's just, like, the losing hurts so much more, you know. Um, I do see it in narcissistic parenting where, again, the narcissistic parent is so insecure um, that they project this image onto their child to constantly be perfect. And um, I, I do see that as you know, causing high-functioning depression from, from that standpoint, from that like um, nurture standpoint. And then, you know, I do think it's um, genetic. I, th I do think that you do have these family legacies where it's like you're constantly winning. No one can fail. Right. So um, it's a combination of that and society. You know, we're, we're, we're taught to hustle. We're taught to, you know, be like the best and like at least like, you know, you know, have a have a side hustle, have a side game. So it's just like, when does it end? Our you like know, modern um, predator stuff is just too much. It's too much. Right. I know. It I is. know. I think that like this is a huge cycle that all the parents mm -hmm. like right now who are parenting right now could really benefit from breaking so that like the next generation does not have to live like this. <laughs> the end of life literature is really interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I frequently ask my patients to look at end of life literature and what they'll find is that even the richest person on their deathbed is not going to be like, I wish I did that one more project. You know, they'll say, I wish I had more time with my family. I wish that I, you know, did the things that I always wanted to do, but I was too afraid to do them because I didn't want to fail. Right. So it's that stuff that I feel like we miss out on. Um, you know, I was recently doing some lifestyle stuff for one of the social media outlets. And I was like, I got to I got to harp into this so that my my thing my my uh, beauty routine has to be time with that and i'm like wait a second it's supposed to be about lifestyle i'm supposed to be enjoying this let me not do let me not film this one experience and let me enjoy right. it because i deserve a break you know so i feel like we do get caught yeah. up and we have to remind ourselves about what's important because on my deathbed i'm not going to be like should have done that like additional facial right i should have been like no i i, I wanted to one enjoy more piece of content yeah. right <laughs> If one more thing went viral, you know, like, no, you got to You got to reframe. And that's why therapy is not like, OK, I figured out how to deal with a narcissistic mother and I figured out how to live a good life. No, it's constant reminders yeah. because we fall back into patterns. We're human beings mm -hmm. and we need to be reminded about, you know, ways to live fuller, um, more satisfying, meaningful lives. Um, and we have to practice those things, put them in the practice every yeah. day. Do you feel like the people who are in these high functioning buckets, I know that they struggle to get diagnosed because I have personal experience with that where people are like, there's nothing the matter with you. And I'm like, I'm telling you, there's something the matter. Um, but do you feel like they also self gaslight and delay getting treatment because, well, I don't have depression. I get up out of bed every morning and I've, I'm running these four kids and I'm, I have a job, you know what I mean? And like, I am fine in my relationship. You know, I can check all these like, oh, I'm kind of surviving buckets. Right. Um, do you feel like they 
struggle to or delay getting into treatment and how can we stop the self-gaslighting and know okay things aren't okay we deserve to go get treatment definitely they they feel guilty because a lot of these behaviors are shame-based you know it's like and it's not narcissism has so many faces you know like there's the there's the overt narcissist there's a covert there's a fragile but a part of it is from and it's not npd it's not narcissist personality disorder but it's the narcissism of like i need to do this to feel good about how i appear right so it can be somewhat narcissistic to work that hard to be masochistic because it's like well they depend on me and like what what, what is my how would i feel about my ego if i'm not doing all these things right so I think a lot of self-reflection is important, you know, and like understanding why you're doing these things. And so, you know, someone will say to themselves, I have to work this hard because my team depends on me, right? So they gaslight themselves. When if you didn't work that late one night, your team would have been just fine. But you tell yourself what you need to, to buoy your self-esteem and your ego, right? So that's where the self-reflection really comes into play in therapy. Nothing replaces one-on-one therapy, right? Nothing. Yeah, um, like social media is helpful. Podcasts are helpful. Books are helpful. But nothing replaces that one-on-one reflection, right, and that work. But, you know, that's where you say, okay, am I just telling myself this so that it justifies me missing out on the real things, skipping out on the real work just to keep on this, like, really dangerous cycle right um that will lead to burnout and exhaustion and eventually probably depression right so like ask yourself you know i tell i i tell my clients do you feel full fed and satisfied and if it's a no then something's up you know like so whatever it is that your mantra is for your your litmus test your your personalized test for when you're not feeling the way you should be feeling why do you feel that way? You know, and then you'll find that you're gaslighting yourself. A lot of times it's because you're telling yourself you should be happy. You should be doing this. You should be doing that when you really don't need to be doing all those things. You know, life before technology was so simple and uh, we don't need as much as what's happening in our day to day to keep living a simple life, a good life, you know? Dr. Judith, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I know that you have so much more information that people can go plug into and learn more about dysfunctional family systems, high achieving or high functioning depression, anxiety, PTSD, the whole gamut. Can you tell my listeners where they can find you? Yes, um, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok, Dr. Judith Joseph. And thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I will be linking all of that in the description of this podcast. Dr. Judith, thank you again for helping me support you, the mother.